the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. One of the most amazing things in the world is judgment coming, but hope coming after that or through that. And that's what you find in the book of Micah. You find the judgment, you find the reason for it, but at the end, you find hope. I hope you have that hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and is real to you. By the way, this is Bert Harper. After being gone several days, it's good to be back here with you. And Alex, I appreciate Jim Stanley coming in and pinch hitting with you as I was away for a few days, uh, really spending time with grandchildren. Well, you know something, I've been so blessed on the road to um, meet people from all over the country, and I want to give a big shout out, I bet he's listening, Tim Blake. Tim Blake and his family, they listen, they live up in Virginia, and uh, Bert, I'm doing some uh, lunchtime Bible studies, uh, adult Bible school, during a time of Bible school, and Tim Blake and his family are coming uh, to First Baptist, and I'm down here because... This is where we're doing Truth for a New Generation in October. But he was telling me how he appreciates you, and he loves Jim Stanley. And uh, we just appreciate all the people that listen. And whenever I'm gone or whenever you're gone, isn't it a blessing that we've got Jim and Devin and just a whole team, sometimes uh, Wesley Wildman. But we've got a great team of people that help make exploring the word happen, don't we? We do. And, you know, we be, it is American Family Association, and you do become family. And uh, that means the world to us, and I hope it means the world to you. It comes across. Uh, Alex and I really do enjoy working together. And uh, it's, it's not just for this hour, but uh, even during times. And so we praise the Lord for that. And it's because we have a Savior whose name is Jesus, and we pray that you know him. And uh, that's our desire. Uh, Alex and I were talking earlier about exploring the word, the purpose. Yes, it, we want people to come to know Christ, and those of us that know Christ, we want to be discipled and serve him in a greater way and share the good news. So we're hoping that comes across, and I hope you're blessed by it. But I was Amen. excited when I found out that you guys – had finished the book of Galatians, uh, even though I loved it. I'm glad you finished it and went to the book of Micah. Uh, man, Micah, he's one of those 8th century prophets. Uh, you know, Amos was a part of it, Isaiah, Hosea. That's uh, in At Blue Mountain College, we called it the Quartet of Prophets. And yes. uh, during that period, now I don't know which one sang bass or tenor, but I'm telling you <laughs> what, uh, it seemed like Isaiah had the lead but I am telling you this, Micah comes along and he gives some of the same things that Amos does and Isaiah does. Uh, it is a blessed book, isn't it? Well, it really is. And like we talked about yesterday, you know, when if you hear the phrase the major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, the major prophets, then you'll hear the minor prophets. And we, we've at one time or another over the last decade, we've done all of these books actually, but Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. You know, Bert, when I was, I've got to tell you this, when I was a little boy in Sunday school, I would hear these names like Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Malachi 
and I thought, I wonder what all the what do those words mean? Did you oh, weren't yeah, you yeah. mystified, yes. Joel? And and you know we've gone through these, and uh, the minor prophets are sometimes called the twelve, um, and they're minor not in terms of being insignificant. They're not. They're very significant, but it's really a a reference to their length. The major prophets are longer. Um, interesting, and this is a little bit of a generalization, but the major prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, speak to things global. The minor prophets very often speak to things local. Yeah. You, you know? Yeah, there, there, um, are, there are tweaks in there, but generally that is a good observation, Alex. Uh, that is so true. Although Isaiah and Jeremiah, they really come down specifics, but also, as you see it, it expands and goes out. It starts at a point and goes, uh, would you say, more wide-reaching. You know what I mean? Yeah, very much so, very much so. Yeah. And and it's been said about Micah, one-third of his book exposes the sins of his own countrymen. One-third of the book depicts the punishments that God is going to send, the judgments, but one-third of Micah holds out hope for God's mercy and uh, God's restoration. And that's how it is in any, in any era. I'm going to say this, and we're going to get back to Micah 1, uh, 10. Oftentimes, Bert, I think sometimes we commentators, it might seem like we're always doom and gloom. And I don't mean to be. We talk about the state of America, and it is serious. And I would say uh, our spiritual condition for our beloved nation is very serious right now. But at the same time, and that's something only the Christian worldview can offer, while there is judgment and there's a very, very seriousness of sin, but the Christian message says, look, there's hope because there's a loving Savior, and you call on the name of the Lord, and the Bible says he will abundantly pardon. Isn't that a good? Amen. We have that component of the message Amen. that we serve a God who is more eager to forgive than we're e even eager to ask for it sometimes. And we need to preach that. We need to preach that hope and make sure people know that in Christ there's life. And it's not just existence, it's an abundant life. And uh, that's what we try to make you understand, make sure you understand it here on Exploring the Word. And it's a life worth living. And uh, so we want to share that. And I think Micah does that. He gives, yes, the judgment, the reason for it, but the hope uh, through it, you know, through that. Mm -hmm. It's not only just afterwards, but through it, there's hope. Well, Alex, you said in verse 10, but uh, what he did here is, as Micah comes on board, he talks about the northern kingdom, Samaria is the capital, and then he centralizes in, starting in verse 9, this is getting ready for verse 10, for her wounds are incurable, for it has come to Judah. It has come to the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. So what we're going to hear for the rest of the chapter 1 is, is this. It's kind of like a geographical lesson as, as Micah gives God's judgment on 40. There's going to be 46 cities that the Assyrians come in and take, uh, you know, in Judah before they get to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, it stops 
because of the intervention of God. But he uses mm-hmm. these different towns on the way and surrounding Jerusalem as a lesson to let them know that judgment is coming. And he uses kind of a play on their the meaning or the sound of their names to get across this judgment that is coming their way, Alex. Exactly, exactly. You know, uh, there's so much we need to cover. I want to point out a word meaning that's interesting, I think. In verse 10, it says, uh, Declare it not at Gath, weep ye not at all. All right, there were five Philistine kind of city regions, uh, one of which is Gath, and of course this is a, an area... Um, you know, where Goliath was supposedly from. But the word gath, interesting word, means wine press or literally weep press. See, the grapes in a wine press squeeze the grapes and the juice comes out. Um, it was said that the grapes would weep, the juice would come out. Now, here's the thing judgment is being proclaimed, and at this interesting name, gath which some commentators say it, it almost means weep town. It says weep not at all. In other words, don't weep in weep town. Um, don't just lament, uh-oh, the judgment of God is coming, but repent. But also the thing about the Philistines at Gath, for one thing, to not declare it at Gath, if, if the Jews are going to get judged by God, and if they're in a very compromised position, that wouldn't be something you would want the enemies of, of Israel to know, you know? Um, and this is Judah, the southern kingdom, really, isn't it, Bert? Um, it is. And as you say, Gath also, when you sell it, uh, it sounds in a similar word in the Hebrew to tell. And so he is uh, it's kind of a rhyme or riddle, tell it not to Gath. In the Hebrew language, it, there's there's a sound effect there as well as the wine press. So you have yes. a double meaning about uh, you know tell it. It says do not tell it to the, tell it not to Gath. Don't tell them. But judgment is coming. And, but he keeps on. It's like a roll call of towns, and he says weep not at all in Beth uh, Aphra as best I can mm. tell it. I'm having yeah, trouble yeah. with that, but it means house of dust, and it has the idea roll yes. yourself in the dust. The house of dust is going to roll in the dust. And exactly. Well, you know, it's been said Micah really kind of makes a play on words with the names of these areas, doesn't he? He does. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Afra and you, I think you're pronouncing it wonderfully. I, I don't quite know how to pronounce it. Dust town. Roll in the dust, yeah. uh, in dust town, sapphire, and you know maybe that's a reference to the word sapphire. But that in verse eleven says, you know, if a sapphire is beauty town, it says, what about the inhabitants of sapphire? Shame and nakedness, not yeah. very beautiful in beauty town. That's right. The town that is so beautiful and pleasant is really going to be naked and, and shameful. Again, yes. letting them know what is coming their way, regardless of, of what they've named or what they think or what it sounds. Nothing stops the hand in the judgment of God, Alex, you know, mm-hmm. except God himself. But if yeah. we intervene as intercessors, uh, that's what takes place. I'm, I'm projecting ahead. They're going to take all these towns, but when they come to Jerusalem, and, and that's when King Uzziah will pray, 
and God will stop them from taking Jerusalem. So the judgment of God rolls on unless the judgment of God in God's judgment, he pulls it back. Uh, it's yeah. in the hands of God, isn't it? Really? Well, it, it is. And all these town names, uh, Gath, Aphra, Saphir, or Sapphire, Zanan, Meroth, Lachish, Akzib, or Achzib. Anyway, Micah makes like an opposite of what their name means. It would be like, you know, uh, uh, the red, white, and blue, or something associated with America, the eagle, you know, the, the bald eagle. Well, it's going to be like a dead buzzard. I mean, that's not uh, a perfect comparison, but that's what he's doing. I'll give you one more example here of these word plays, verse 13. O thou inhabitant of Lachish, bind the chariot to the swift beast. Okay, Lachish is a word referencing horses. Uh, what do horses do? Well, they run and they pull a wagon. But he says, no, the chariot is bound. So horse town is not going to have much uh, livestock activity. In other words, I'm going to summarize this way. When the judgment of God comes, your world can be turned upside down. The thing in which you trusted and even the thing by which you defined yourself can be lost if you fall under the judgment of God. And so uh, these word plays, I think these people who understood these towns uh, and what they were known for being removed, they would have gotten this. Uh, we have a problem here. We have. Houston, we have a problem. And uh, so this is the judgment. And, and it shows this this prophet Micah uh, from, from a little rural town. He knows his geography, but more than that, he knows God. We'll be back with more right after this break. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Brian Deese, Director of the National Economic Council. His office informs the President regarding economic policy matters and prepares the economic report of the President. Proverbs 12.15 reminds us of the importance of sound advice. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Brian Deese as he advises the President. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says too many people these days are trying to create God in their own image. But in John 8, 58, Jesus put that idea in its place by using the name God gave himself way back in Moses' day. We'll discover why that's so significant as we spend two minutes with Tony. Jesus is saying, I am. Well, he doesn't just say, I am. He says, I am that I am. It means that God is who he is. He declares himself to be. I am that I am. In other words, I define me by me. I am that I am. So why do you need to know that? Because what that means is I am not what you want me to be. 
I am not what you demand that I be. I am who I am. I is who I is. Okay? What he is saying is, I am self-defining. You ever have anybody in your life who tells you who you are? And you'll say in a minute, you don't know me. You might even roll your neck, you know? You, you, don't, you don't know me. Because they are giving their perspective on who you are, but they only know a portion of who you are. So in order to find out who God is, God must tell you, because he is who he is, he is not who you may want him to be. And a lot of misconceptions about God because men want to define him in man's terms. And he says, no, I am who I am. Learn more about how the Lord defines himself through the various ways he's described in scripture. Check out Tony's book, The Power of Jesus' Names, available online at TonyEvans.org. And be sure to join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Jesus is alive. Jesus is Oh, I like that upbeat music. Amen. Hey, uh, folks, when if you enjoy the music, when we come back from breaks, you can thank <laughs> Devin Patrick because he he keeps us in real good music, doesn't he? He does. Now I want to ask Devin. He's not speaking. He, he can, <laughs> was that the Prophets Quartet that sang that, uh, Devin? Kingdom Heirs. Kingdom Heirs. I thought Kingdom if it Man. was the Prophets Quartet, it might have been Isaiah, Micah, Amos, and Hosea. But anyway, okay, Kingdom Heirs. Oh, wow. Yes, well, Jesus are, is enough. Amen. It, wonderful. We are back on Exploring the Word. So glad you're with us. And folks, in just a few minutes, we're going to take Bible questions. And we had a really, really full board yesterday and don't know that we quite got to everybody. So today is your day, friend. If you want to call in, in just a minute, we're going to or in a few minutes, rather, we're going to take Bible questions in the number, 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. Uh, in just a few minutes, we'll get to Bible questions. But, you know, wrapping up Micah chapter 1, and again, he's talking about the sins of his countrymen. This is a time when Israel had split into two kingdoms, the, the northern kingdom, uh, was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And, you know, God does get his will accomplished, and the Messiah would be born about 500 years later. But this stage of the, the nation being split, the divided kingdom stage, and the called out people of God going to war with each other, going to war with the Philistines, uh, this was far, far away from God's plan and God's design, wasn't it, Bert? It was, and, and God, you know, he it's amazing. Romans 8, 28, God takes all things and he works them for good. What's amazing is how God works through this mess. You know, that's all you can say. They, they well from the top to the bottom, uh, we're going to get into chapter 2, and we're going to talk about the prophets and the priests being all messed up and doing that which is not right. We're talking about leaders that took advantage of their positions, judges. 
and, and it, it was corrupt, and yet God is able to bring out of that the Messiah, because we're going to get to one of the most important prophecies concerning the Messiah in the book of Micah about being born in Bethlehem. And so through all of that, we see God working. Alex, let's say it today. Through all the stuff that's going on, and you've described the the situation in our nation as it is, I agree with you, we're at a low ebb, but God is at work. Don't don't forget that. And matter of fact, I think chapter uh, one verse sixteen, the last the last sentence says, For they shall go from you into captivity, they shall go into captivity. It didn't say complete destruction. There's a difference in annihilation and captivity. You catch what I'm saying? Well said. Well said. And let me say, to be free is to be captive to Christ. Amen. And, and, and really to be bound and incarcerated is to be without God. But um, let me read verse, uh, uh, well, 14 through 16. Therefore shalt thou give presents to Moresh Gath. The houses of Exib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Okay, this uh, Exib, however you pronounce it, um, it really means like lie town, L-I-E, a yeah. falsehood. And, <laughs> and they're going to be a lie to the kings of, of Israel. But this is beautiful. I'm going to read 15. I will bring a conqueror against you who live in Merishah. The nobles of Israel will flee to Adjalam. Now, here's the summary of chapter 1. Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as the vulture, for they will go from you into exile. Um, the King James says, make thee bald and pull, P-O-L-L, pull thee. In other words, cut your hair off. Why? For the delicate children. In, in other words, um, we mourn when our own nation. Look, uh, uh, America, can you even believe we're having the thoughts of socialism and Marxism? And that, that's sad, but I'm, I'm going to tell you what I grieve for are the kids and grandkids that are going to come after us Exactly. if if we don't have a revival. Exactly. That's the reason I was talking earlier. I mean, I was off last week and spent time with our grandchildren trying to demonstrate, pour into them the love of the Lord, a love for God's Word. And and so you want to pour into the next generation. And, uh, you know, a lot of these churches, they have senior adult meetings, you know, uh, yeah. And, you know, I know they do some good things, and yes, the fellowship is great and the trips are great, but let me just tell you, the best thing they do is pour into the next generation and and let them see Christ in them, it, invest their lives as senior adults, invest your lives in the next generations that's going to follow you. And so, Alex, here, I, I think I want to go back to verse 15, Adulam, this is a place of refuge, this is where David would hide out, you know, in the caves there in Adullam, hiding from Saul, and it was a refuge. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. I think there's hope in that one statement. If you catch, you know, yes, he's talking about judgment, but Adullam, there there was a difficult place, but it was a place that, that was a refuge. So God's people during difficult 
times still can have refuge in him. He is a shield. He is a strong and mighty tower. He is the rock of our salvation. So we find our hope only, only in God through Jesus Christ. We know how the Bible uh, says, and we've gone over this in the New Testament, how it says, with every temptation, he will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I think with every pending judgment, and remember, God always acts redemptively. God doesn't punish out of cruelty. God punishes to try to get our attention and bring us to redemption. With every threatened judgment, he makes an opportunity for repentance Amen. that we may be able to be restored. Okay, chapter 2 goes on, and it says, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. In other words, you're laying awake thinking up some scheme. At morning's light they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet the fields and seize them, houses, take them, defraud people of their homes, rob them of their inheritance. Now it's getting down to the sins of the countrymen. And imagine somebody laying awake at night plotting, and they can't wait till the sun rises to go do some dishonest thing. God knows about it, doesn't he? He does. Look at that last phrase in verse 1. They have the power in their hand. What are you doing mm. with the power that you have? You say, well, I don't have any. Yes, you have influence. You have influence in your home. You have influence at your job. Uh, you have influence in your neighborhood. What are you doing with the power or the influence you had? Now, here's what they were doing. They were lying in their beds thinking of evil. It made me think of what it said in Noah's day. It says their hearts and their minds was evil continually, you mm. know, and that yeah. was what was said. They practice evil. They covet the lands, and they take it, and they have the power to do so. So, Alex, here they're, they're taking advantage of the not of opportunities to do good, but opportunities to make themselves wealthy. This sounds a little bit like Amos, you know, uh, in the prophet Amos. He, he talked about this, this uh, the leadership. We're talking about the people in power taking advantage of those under them and to their destruction. It's not just making money. It's not just the whole idea of capitalism. Don't you get that if this was capitalism without any restraint, more restraint, it's still going to work for evil. But if you put capitalism, everybody owning their own fields, everybody taking care of what God is taking care of, there will be prosperity around to share. But when a few take hold and do this damage, Alex, it does harm for everyone. Oh, my goodness, yes, uh, really. And chapter 2 is very interesting. Uh, okay, verses 1 and 2, you've got people planning evil. But 3 through 5, you've got God saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you. I'm going to bring, like, disaster on you, all right? Then there's a, a section about false prophets, 6 through 11, but then an opportunity for deliverance, 12 through 13. And this is chapter 2. So it's kind of, chapter 2 is like four couplets. And let me just digress for a moment. If you read 3 through 5, it's not just God is slightly displeased with you. 
evil people. It says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly. It will be a time of calamity. Now, Bert, um, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the Bible, who is righteous and holy, but he is merciful and he offers salvation, but he is a God of judgment. This is not really the God you hear preached about all that much. Um, I was reading, you, you know, the scripture that says, fear not. Jesus said, you know, don't fill him who could kill the body only. Fear the one who after you die can throw you into hell. You remember that passage? Yes, he did. I, I, I bet out of the 345,000 American churches, I, I doubt more than one or two churches, if any, preach that in the last six months. Wow. That Alex, that... God can throw you into hell, um, but he mm. could. So that's why you need to be saved. But Psalm 37 says, fret not because of evildoers. Fret not thyself. Psalm 1 verse 4 says the wicked, you know, uh, the man by the, the righteous man is like a you know tree planted by the water, but the wicked are not so. They're like the chaff blown away. Here's the thing. Don't don't let the celebrities or the rich and the powerful pagans uh, cause you to envy one little bit. Um, be holy before God, because that is the greatest riches at all in this life, because this this loving God is also a God of holiness and judgment. Alex, the reason this is so important is because. Uh, God's desire is to bless, but when we go our own way, uh, the ends thereof are the ways of death. That's the whole idea. When we go our way and do our thing, it leads to destruction. Just like Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy, our enemy does that. We tend to do that ourselves. Pro There's this old song, prone to wander, Lord, I, mm. you know, prone to le leave the one I love. Uh, Alex, our wayward ways end in destruction. So God is correcting them, yes, with severe judgment, and yet he is still ha holding out hope. When we come to, like you said, verse 12 and 13, there is that hope that is only in Christ. It's in the future, but also it's immediate, the immediate hope. And I want to give an illustration real quickly. And that's when they were taking the Israelites, the Hebrews, had come across, and they were taking Jericho. But Rahab and her family and those that were gathered in her house, they were saved. They found that. In the destruction, there was deliverance. How about the flood? In the destruction, there was deliverance. How about Sodom and Gomorrah? In that destruction, because of sin, there was deliverance. And that's what we're telling you today, right now. Yes, we're crying out for revival in America, but we're saying to those of us who are following Christ, there will be deliverance. It may not be through, it, it could be through death, but it's deliverance into the very presence of God. So, Alex, Amen. that judgment that God brings on us, there's hope even within that judgment. Mm. And verse 4 warns, uh, in that day, the day of God's judgment, the people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields 
to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. Uh, very demoralizing to think that you're estranged from God and you're, you've lost all of the material goods of this life and you're being mocked yep. by your enemies. Okay, let's talk about the preacher problem. Okay, now what we've done, we're going from, quote, businesses, you catch what I'm saying, farmers, yeah. into the prophetic voice. Go ahead. I just make that transition. Yeah, yes. That, that was a great point. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright? See, here, this is a, a, a rhetorical question that the liberal preachers are asking. Uh, should we really preach that the Lord becomes impatient? Should we really preach that the Lord would judge? Yeah, we should preach that. I mean, yeah. Um, so the, the preachers, here comes Micah saying, uh, repent because judgment is coming. And the, the you know, the high-paid preachers downtown say, don't say that. Don't prophesy that way. Listen, those radical, you know, uh, right-wingers, all they talk about is sin. And look, God God is God of love. God, God is not going to become impatient. God is just this kindly old grandfather up there, and he's not going to do anything. And, and uh, this is a warning that, well, and I, I repeat myself, I'm aware of that. I apologize, but... Yes, God loves you, but God loves you so much that he calls you to turn from sin, to come to him, to be saved. All right. Verse 8 says, Well, Alex, before we get to that, because the, the music has started, let's okay, think, okay. I, I want to put into perspective what Paul said. Paul said, reprove, rebuke, exhort. That's yeah. what we're to do. Yes, we're to do those. We're not to not placate and say it's all easy. Hey, we're going to take some Bible questions. It's 888-589-8840, 888 Friendships is offering an exciting opportunity for young adults who want to grow in their walk with God, become physically fit, and learn relief ministry while serving in the Middle East. This is an amazing opportunity to serve God and experience Israel. Check out Seahawks one-year scholarship program at friendships.org or call 337-433-5022. That's 337-433-5022. The next session begins August 19th. Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Iran's Islamic government is cutting off Internet access following widespread anti-regime protests in the Khuzestan province. In America, NPR published a hit piece on The Daily Wire, The Blaze, Breitbart News, and Western Journal in which it called for big tech to work harder and do more to minimize misinformation coming from conservative outlets. 
NPR is taxpayer funded. It's the closest thing we have to literal government-run media. And NPR is calling for the minimization of the influence of ideas and information that doesn't comport with their preferred narratives. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In Luke 9, 11, we read this about Jesus. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God. A man lost his watch in an ice house. He and his friends searched through the blocks of ice, the sawdust on the floor, and around the things stored there. They finally gave up, but a little boy entered the house and shut the door. Shortly, he came out with the watch. When asked how he found it, he said, I lay down on the ground and was really quiet. Then I heard the watch ticking and found it. We have to be still to hear Jesus. We need to listen carefully and obediently. He wants to speak to you. When your desire to listen to Jesus lines up with his desire to speak, that's when you'll hear him, and he will speak when you listen. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. But he saves the poor from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the strong, so the helpless has hope and injustice has shut its mouth. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Father, I'm in a desperate place. Father, I know you can bear the weight. Father, take me in your arms. Amen. I hope you are in the arms of our loving, caring God. Alex, pastor and wife fishbowl retreat. We're still receiving registration. It's going to be October the 19th through the 21st this year at Pickwick Landing State Park near Savannah, Tennessee. Mm. Ed Vitagliano will be there, J.J. Jasper, and my wife Jan and I. Uh, listen, I, I'm, I'm biased on this, but it's truthful. Of those lineup, I, Jan is the one you really want to hear. She does a great job of speaking to the wives and the pastors, and it's a blessing. So I hope that you will register, talk to your pastor and his wife, see if they can come and send them there. Uh, it doesn't cost that very much money, so let them come. And go to repairingthefoundations.net, repairingthefoundations.net, and register online. So we're looking wow. forward to that in October. And uh, truth for a new generation, you're that's in October as well. So we're uh, listen, really busy October, October won't it? Yeah. Th- this is our conference on apologetics and biblical worldview. It's going to be October 15 through 17 at First Baptist Myrtle Beach. And we've got Frank Turek, Sandy Rios, E.W. Jackson, Miki Addison. It's going to be amazing. But a big emphasis is going to be on training you to build a, a youth ministry in your church that will win and retain young people. But we're going to be talking about critical race theory and a biblical response to the woke movement. We'll tell you more about that. But plan to come to Truth for New Generation, and you can find complete information at my website, alexmcfarland.com. Well, Bert, how about we uh, go to the calls, and we're going to go over to Tennessee, and we'll talk to Justin. Justin, welcome to Exploring the Word. How's it going? 
Good. Thanks for listening. <clears throat> You're on. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. What you got, bro? Uh, well, my question is, how come you guys keep inco- incorporating politics into your religious speeches and debates? Well, um, great question. Great question. And I'll start and Bert, you can chime in too. It's because beliefs influence behaviors. In fact, uh, America itself exists because some people 240 years ago mixed their religious convictions with their political aspirations. And not only the birth of America was contingent on putting biblical principles into cultural life, but really the founders, George Washington, in his second inaugural speech, he said that the indispensable supports to our liberty are religion and morality. George Washington said, in vain would we entertain the idea that America would exist without religion and morality. I'm going to say this, I'm going to throw it to you, Bert. We interject biblical principles into the political discourse because the Word of God tells us to, and even the founders of the country urged us to. Uh, Justin, let me say, I think it goes further than that. Uh, The Bible affects what we teach, affects everything in life. Uh, I, I would say economics, the Bible has something to say. Education. The Bible has a, much to say in the area of government issues and politics. The Bible has much to say. What happened is the withdrawal of of the Bible being placa- uh, the Bi- politics placating to the Bible or the Bible preachers placating to politics. No, the Bible has a lot to say about life. It has a lot to say about gender. The Bible has a lot to say about marriage. The Bible has a lot to say on these things. And the pastors that do not uh, use that, I, I don't think you ought to make you pulpit a political stand. I don't do that. But I can't help but preach through the book of Micah the way we are now and get it into chapter 2 and what was happening because of the leadership in that nation and what it was causing. You get into it. It's just I think it's the whole counsel of God, Justin, and uh, that's that's an area I think that the pulpits of America need to cry out. Let me make one thing else. You was talking about the founding fathers. Uh, mm-hmm. There was the black robe, uh, you know, uh, clergy. Yeah, they would preach, and they were talking about it. And you see in their sermons all that Alex was talking about. It wasn't just the politicians, George Washington or John Adams or Thomas Jefferson, it was the pastors of that day speaking clearly concerning the liberty that we have in Christ. Mm, well, Justin, thanks for that call. It was. Thank hope, you, Justin. Great call. I hope, hope that helps. Uh, Joan in Illinois. Joan, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you so much for taking my call. I appreciate the service that you two have. I have, My granddaughter just became engaged to a young man who is very strong in Calvinism. And a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned there was a book that was good on that subject, but you didn't mention the title. Would you give that um, to me? Bert, start out, and I'm going to grab the book. I've okay. got it right at hand. Let me just share with you. 
don't be fearful. I mean, the Bible talks about it this way. Uh, you know, can two walk together unless they be agreed? The Bible talks about it, John. Uh, be not unequally yoked together. Now, I found out the greater the difference, the greater the difficulty and the harder work. That can be uh, denominational as well as social. That can be in any way. Uh, but, you know, uh, let me say, I, I say this quite often. Those that are Calvinist, uh, if it doesn't affect their evangelism, if it doesn't affect uh, their life, uh, you know, and they, they love the Lord, uh, praise the Lord. There are brothers and sisters in Christ, and I work with them quite a bit right here uh, in Tupelo. And so, Alex, did you find the name of the well, book? Yet? I, I did. I grabbed this book. Um, we've got a great listener up in the Richmond area named uh, Bradford Howard. And he is part of a wonderful ministry up there called Man Church, uh, Rocky Marin and Man Church. If that's something we ought to do a whole show on. But Brad Howard sent me a book by Dr. Bob Kirkland. It arrived just last week, and it's called Calvinism, None Dare Call It Heresy, Spotlight on the Life and Teachings of John Calvin. And um, I've just started reading it. It's a really good book, uh, and it, it basically goes through the questions about, you know, what is the tulip and what are the, the five points of Calvinism. Now, and I'm going to clarify what I'm about to say in just a minute. The other book that I, Joan, that I reference that is quite a scholarly volume, it's by Dave Hunt, and it's titled, What Love Is This? Question mark. Um, Calvinism's Misrepresentation of God. And um, it, it's, I, I got that book when it came out about three or four years ago, and it's a really good book and exhaustively, exhaustively goes through like every verse that is used to support some of the doctrines of Calvinism. Now, I want to say this with all my heart, with all my heart, I'm, I'm not questioning that those that are Calvinistic love Jesus. I, Bert, I believe they do, and I think they're well-intentioned. Uh, and I grew up Presbyterian. I mean, I've been around Reformed Calvinistic people my entire life, many of whom are some of my dearest Christian friends. But I, I do think if it's taken to an extreme, and if, if what I say offends anybody, I beg of your forgiveness. I really do. But Bert, when I read the Bible, I, of course God is sovereign and the Lord is in control. But it also says, whosoever will may come. And, and I, I, I don't find in the Bible the idea that some are elected to be thrown in hell with no recourse of their own. I, I read about the Savior who died for all, that anyone who comes to him in faith can be saved. Not just a particular atonement for just an elect few, but the Son of God gave his life for the world, and for that reason, whosoever will may come. And our job... Yeah, is to go out there and compel them to come in. And so I don't mean to start a division or anything like that. Or And, Bert, if I've spoken out of school, uh, you've rebuked me. Well, but, Alex, let me just say this. Anything out of balance is wrong. You take the opposite end of Calvinism and go to the point of, man, okay, I, I can get saved any time I want. The Bible says that God's Spirit does not always strive with man. You know, salvation 
is God initiating his love to us and we respond. That's the mm-hmm. whole idea. And and the idea is not, no, it doesn't start with us. It starts with God. And mm-hmm. uh, so, so listen, understand that. And I, I go back and uh, stay in balance with the scriptures. I understand uh, people going one way or that try it's man trying to explain things that only god completely understands that's right. I, i'm just making this as plain as i can when i look at the trinity i un, i do know it's true i know it without a heart uh without any doubt in my heart but i can say completely uh describe it and let every the people know i come short of that to understand how the sovereignty of god and man's free will work together in balance. I I just know the Bible teaches they work in balance, Alex, and I accept that, and I go that way. Stay in that frame, and I think you'll do okay. Let's go to Louisiana and speak with Joshua. Joshua, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you. Uh, I have a question about the thousand-year period in Revelation after the tribulation. I just want to know who's going to be there Will there be death during that period, and does this have anything to do with God's Sabbath? Okay, the thousand-year reign, Alex, millennial reign, I think. Joshua, I think you're right. Seven years of tribulation followed by Christ coming back and setting mm-hmm. his throne up on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, Revelation 21-7 through 7 says that Christ will reign for 1,000 years after his return to Jerusalem, and this is the, the pinnacle of history, isn't it? It is, and, and, and Joshua, that is when we've been looking for utopia. You know, they've talked about it. Uh, they, we've looked for it. It's not going to come until Jesus Christ is on the throne. Now, we can't have a utopia here upon earth, and our life is filled with difficulties. But I'm telling you, Christ on the throne of our hearts and our lives, Alex, there's a peace that passes all understanding when that comes about. And that's what you want to make sure of today. I, I look forward to the future, and I'm confident of, of God having the future. But I want to make sure he is Lord of my life today. That's that's so important, isn't it? Well, well it is. And, and I do believe there will be a literal thousand years. There's basically going to be five major things during the millennium. Satan is bound, Revelation 21 through 3. Uh, there will be the final restoration of Israel, uh, uh, regathering, possession of the land, reestablishment of the throne of David. Now, Jesus is going to reign righteously globally, and this is referenced in Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 11. There will be at the end of the millennium, right near the end, uh, a loosing of Satan, a final rebellion on earth, and then ultimately Revelation 20, 11 through 15, the great white throne judgment. But, uh, you know, I, I, I guess the best place to start is just read Revelation 20, and you'll, you'll get a lot of that information on that. But um, also in Louisiana, Clayton. Clayton in Louisiana, welcome to Exploring the World. Hello. How y'all doing? God bless Good. y'all. I'd just like to say something uh, about pastors not speaking the full truth of the Bible and, and going to hell and all that. Uh, the pastor, Dean Odo, out of Alabama, is one of the few preachers that I've heard speak the full truth and i've heard y'all use the scripture of uh, the circle of the earth but if you look at job uh 38 14 i believe and 37 18 
It says he pressed the ring onto a ball of clay to make the earth, and he hammered the firmament like you would hammer out a steel breastplate, a bronze breastplate. If you take all those scriptures in together, it perfectly matches the flat earth Mm. uh, model. Clayton, I I am stopping you. He sits on the sphere of the earth. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's the Bible. It said it years and years ago. And it, it's not a ring. It is a sphere. And he sets over it, doesn't he, Alex? He really does. And the word there in, in Job um, talks about God walks the circuit of heaven. And and I know some people, you know, the Isaiah 40 about Isaiah forty twenty two that God sits on the circle of the earth, the spherical nature of the earth. And some try to use, and brother, my dear friend, I beg of you, please don't believe the flat earth urban legend. Uh, Even the Job 22 uh, is translated circuit, which has like an arc or a spherical nature to it, whether it's going around a circuit or in Isaiah 40, a spherical object. Oh my goodness, Uh, the earth is not flat. Uh, Please don't be misled otherwise. Okay, Norman in Mississippi. If you go quickly, we've got time for your question. Norman in Mississippi. Well, I, I, I disagree with you all a little bit on politics and religion. And my reasoning is uh, politics uh, is a world system. It's a world system. The church don't control it. We will never control it, should never control it. If you look at the things that God was able to accomplish with uh, Paul, Peter, and all of that, no guns, no weapons, but they took the world for Christ. Okay, uh, Norman, thank you. We're not suggesting that. We're just saying that Christ in us and the Word of God influences every realm of this earth that we live in, every realm, entertainment, uh, politics, economic. The Bible has something to say about it, and we need to share that as we share Christ. Alex, go ahead, 10 seconds. And all we're saying is it would be better to live under biblical principles than anti-biblical principles, wouldn't it? It would. Norman, thank you. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. We appreciate you listening. Listen tomorrow as we continue in the book of Micah. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.